Hi everyone, um, just to let you know, we're going to start pretty soon. We're just waiting for Jeff to pop back on and uh, then we will start. Here he is. Hey Jeff, don't give me heart attacks like that. Sorry. <laughs> um, so everybody welcome. Um, as it's 12 o'clock, we'll probably kick off now. Um, and I'd like to introduce you all to Jeff. Um, and any questions you need to ask, you can ask via the chat function or else via the Q&A function. And any questions we don't get to during the presentation, we will ensure that we get to it afterwards. Um, and feel free to raise your hand if you need to say something. Um, we will leave a little bit of time at the end for questions and answers. You can put them in via the uh, chat function or if you need me to unmute you, I can unmute unmute you and you can ask Jeff. Uh, there will be a recording of this available afterwards, which I will put on the resources section of the Educate Plus website and I'll send you all a link to it. And Jeff has generously shared um, a printable version of his slideshow. So without further ado, over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Sheila. Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the webinar. Um, so I'm going to do a fair bit of talking the way we've organised this for uh, 20 minutes or so. And then I think as Sheila was saying, we'll have some time for questions after that. Um, I think we've got nearly 200 people logged on for this today. So that's great. Always good to see quite a bit of interest. Um, and uh, I'll say hello to uh, there's all kinds of people logged on. So some clients I used to do work with, some clients I'm working with now. Uh, um, there's two or three other consulting groups I think they're on here as well and people from the university sector as well so um, pretty wide group which is good to see but welcome in these very very strange and challenging times we live in so the webinar came about uh, really because I put up a LinkedIn post uh, just with a few thoughts on what to do uh, at times like this and uh, as a result we sort of tried to pull together a few thoughts on that uh, with the help of Educate Plus just to do today's webinar, which hopefully will give all of you uh, a few things that you can uh, consider doing at a time like this. So we now live in an age where uh, video conferencing is a daily thing. So if you can see my background, I'm shut away in my study at the moment, which has got junk piled up behind me and probably where you are mightn't be much different sometimes. So I'm sure as everyone's been uh, Zooming or Skyping or FaceTiming or talking online, you see some pretty interesting things in people's backgrounds online. Um, so I thought that was a funny post that I saw on LinkedIn as I was um, going along. Always nice to see other human beings too in self-isolation times. All right, so Every crisis, uh, any crisis is a terrible thing, but obviously it's an opportunity to do some good. And that's the focus uh, that we're going to try and bring to this today. So we have this pandemic. It's pretty devastating stuff. Um, and it comes off the back of a lot of other things that have already happened lately. So, you know, there's been drought for quite a long time in some parts of Australia. Uh, bushfires that were just dreadful over the Christmas sort of New Year period. And then actually floods in some parts of Australia not long after that as well. So all of these things were already having a major impact. And then along comes this. It's quite, um, quite something for the sort of times that we live in. 
whatever it's all going to be eventually and the impact that it has, of course, nobody can properly quantify it yet. But I suppose today we're going to take just a, a, a focus away from such a big global um, scale of this and come back to just what matters for our schools. So can school fundraising play a role? Uh, play a role at a time like this? Well, absolutely, I think it can. In fact, I, I really bet it can. Um, so we'll get into that. The first point I'd like to make is about um, relationship dynamics. Um, in a time of crisis, you tend to get things amplified a lot more. So they can be amplified one way or the other, uh, unfortunately. So if you were putting in good work, into relationship management in your school uh, in the sort of time leading up until now, that's probably going to serve you quite well at the moment. If unfortunately, for whatever bunch of reasons, um, there's been a bit of underinvestment in relationship development work or for other reasons, it maybe it was a, a bit harder to get it happening. Well, that's, a, that's something to be conscious of, I think, because if all of a sudden there's other issues going on or there's been that sort of underinvestment in relationship work in a school. You've got to be really careful, I think, uh, with fundraising at a time like this because it does run a risk of being misinterpreted. Um, you know, quite often the criticism will be, uh, say, with past students, they'll say, oh, gee, the only time I hear from the school is when they want money kind of thing, um, which I'm, I think is true in some schools, in some cases, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, this is one of those moments where that kind of sensitivity is certainly going to be there. But I still think that it's possible to fundraise in that. You're just going to have to uh, have some pretty good care and attention and really do some testing, which I'll get into later as well, to make that work. So just to try and paint a picture uh, here for how you could approach this as a bit of a, a model or a rationale, uh, I just want to sort of give this as a as a bit of an abstract example, maybe in some ways, of how you might look at how families will manage paying their school fees at a time like this. So if we took the ability that uh, any family had in a school community to pay school fees in any school community, uh, particularly obviously independent school communities I'm talking about, so Catholic and independent schools, you're gonna have families that are already struggling uh, through to families that will manage I like to put in a couple of other categories here. So I'm gonna have ones that I'm gonna call families likely to struggle and families that can still get by. So if you like, it's a graduated scale from left to right, uh, from struggling up to sort of managing. And before the virus came along, uh, you might say that, and again, this is gonna vary from school to school, I understand that and vary from one situation to another, but before the virus came along, and already with other things going on, particularly in some regional and rural communities from drought and the bushfires as well, you would have a percentage of families that are already struggling. Uh, you would have families that are likely to struggle at any one particular point in time for whatever reason. You might have, a, say, a majority of families that can get by, and, and that kind of does self-select itself up until that point because, you know, they're they're not going to really enrol at the school unless they've got some capacity to pay the fees. And then you've got families who can manage. So just for the sake of argument, if we put these percentages on it uh, for now, and then consider what would happen uh, at the current time when we have the COVID-19 virus. So you're always still going to have, no matter what happens, some families still struggling. 
I think that the families that manage now, it's going to be different. So if I'm saying 30% just as a rough figure, uh, obviously I think that's going to go down because even out of families that manage, there will be businesses and there will be employed uh, people in certain other employment and they will be hit by this crisis. So that's going to drop. Furthermore, in any school, I think families that can get by, that's also going to have some pressure uh, brought to bear. So that's going to drop down as well. And then, of course, what this produces is a, a really unfortunate situation where that's a cascading effect back in the wrong direction. And so instead of having a low percentage of families that sort of might be likely to struggle, now you've actually got a significant proportion of families who are starting to struggle with things. And that could be as for any number of those reasons that I've just mentioned. But that's um, one way to look at this, I suppose. And if you take a step back and look at that current school community, how that pressure is likely to translate on school fees. So that's our focus. What can we do to help the families that are you know, likely to struggle? I'm sure there are schools already finding out that you've got a certain number of families that are struggling with this. So I want to sort of paint a, a bit of a broader picture here before we come back in and, and uh, laser in on the action side of this. So the financial distress, um, it's here now for 2020. That's absolutely for sure. It's probably going to be here for longer because it's going to take a while for some people to really dig themselves out. But let's look at the school for a second. So all schools uh, carry some level of debt in unpaid school fees. That already happened. So with some schools, that's a very large number. Uh, with some schools, that's a very small number. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of any school that has all the fees paid up all the time. Um, but uh, some schools do carry a pretty heavy burden that way some of the time. Some manage it well, and for whatever other reason, you know, there might be others in between. School systems and school boards are all currently analysing what debt they can carry. Um, you know, unless you've got a board or a school system that's just completely asleep, um, they would already be looking at what's going on in terms of what they're projecting uh, the sort of impact of this to be. So they'll already be considering those things, what other debt maybe they can carry, because, you know, most people, a vast, vast majority of people, I think, will care about keeping as many kids in school as possible. That means, I mean, enrolled at the school. And so they'll be analysing this already. So that work should already be going on in most places, uh, if not every school across the country in that sort of situation. So in addition to the impact that has on the operating budget, some schools um, will have access to bursary or hardship funds or endowment funds or even other assets that can be sold. So some schools will be in a fortunate position where they might already have something they can use uh, to bring to bear at a time of crisis like this. Not every school would necessarily have that, and that's that's uh, obviously in a very unfortunate thing. And but that is just the way it is. It's not easy for every school to be in a position where they can build up that sort of buffer or build up those funds. But some schools do. Some schools have something. Uh, some schools maybe not much at all. It's going to be really quite a, a mixture there. Uh, there are schools, I'm sure, uh, way before all of this happened, there'll be schools that have been already using resources to help families in financial distress for all the um, things that usually happen, you know, people losing jobs or other circumstances changing. So that's going to be true anyway. 
However, it's interesting that if there are such funds in schools, they're often described in layman's terms as funds that we're hanging on to one day in case there's a crisis. So that's interesting. In fact, I had this discussion I've got to say with, uh, so last week I had a, a, a past client ring me um, and they're very frustrated actually at the situation in their school because um, they've been having a discussion with a couple of the board members in their school and uh, uh, these two board members were sort of not of the opinion apparently yet that there was a crisis and um, they thought that was unbelievably bad and so do I for that matter. If you think about uh, the families in any school, if you're talking about any sort of school that's heading towards a thousand families, um, well just 10% of that school population is going to be over 100 families. And as I said to the person who I was talking to last week, if it isn't a crisis now, then when is it a crisis? You know, this is it. Um, if, if the attitude would be that anyone would have an attitude that is to say that, you know, oh, we're, we're hanging on to our money because um, we might need it in case there's a crisis. Well, I'd have to say we're here now, uh, that time's arrived. So for each of you and the schools that you work in, uh, I suppose the important thing to consider is just what action is already being taken to address this. Um, I would imagine you've already started to get across that. Um, I would imagine that with term one ending or about to end or has ended, depending on what stage you're in, um, that some circulation has already gone around from the school to the current families to say, look, if you've you know, if you're now unemployed or your business has had to close or other things have happened, um, please talk to our finance department and, and, you know, tell us what's going on, et cetera. So I would imagine that in the vast majority of schools there's already action unfolding to address this. Is there a fund or other resources that can be mobilised? Um, and I don't want to brush over that question too easily because it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm, in my work as a consultant, um, in sometimes in the schools that I work with and the boards that I've worked with, I've asked that question once. And I've realized over the years that uh, you've maybe got to ask it again a second or third time because all of a sudden, somebody does remember that there's a fund or there's money or there's an asset somewhere or there's something else actually that could be used. So I want to encourage people uh, on the webinar today to um, ask that question and just be politely persistent about it because sometimes there are funds and resources that aren't necessarily that well known. So the question then of course is who knows about it? That's the obvious one to go there. And then I would imagine this is the case again in most schools, but is there a process to evaluate financial need and a plan to put that fund or those other resources to use and is it being mobilized now? So just trying to get across the current status at your school, I think is a little bit of an exercise to get into. That'll mean talking to the finance department, some of the board members, maybe obviously the principal, other people too. Um, but there'll be some curiosity around that and it's important to get um, the facts straight, whatever they are for your school, to get the facts straight on what the situation is there because you can imagine that your own school community is going to be very curious about the same thing. This is one of those times when uh, if you're in a governance role or a leadership role, um, you've got to step up and make important decisions. You can't, uh, can't squib this one. Uh, it's a big deal. So, and it's a serious crisis and it's really got to be time to step up. And I would say to any school that 
you know, if they don't step up and do something, uh, and if competition is a real issue in your school, which it is for many schools, imagine your school, you know, doesn't step up and a competitor school steps up in a time of crisis. Well, those sort of things get noticed. Um, and you can see this in other ways now in the news anyway, the way that some companies are behaving in a crisis, uh, the way that some companies are trying to sort of um, spin their story a little bit. And I think people aren't stupid. They know what that looks like. So it's important just to be straight with people and, and be decisive and have that uh, information being circulated in your school community. And it's got to really originate from that governance leadership level and be well organised that way too. Every school uh, in Australia makes some kind of statement in their brand promise that we care. And I think we're testing that promise at times like this. Um, you know, schools will say they care and all schools do, and that's terrific. But here's an actual case where you've got to demonstrate it. Um, it's not something you can demonstrate with a, with a statement. It's got to be demonstrated by action. So you're either fulfilling your brand promise at a time like this, um, or, or you're not necessarily fulfilling the brand promise at a time like this. It's pretty straightforward that way is really nowhere to sort of hide. I think in the LinkedIn article, you know, I used um, Warren Buffett's comment um, about how suddenly when the tide goes out, you work out who's been swimming around with nothing on. Well, this is one of those situations, you know, the tide's going out. So now we'll see what's really going on around the place. So being a fundraising opportunity, I just want to get into the mechanics of that a little bit. Um, it's time for um, fundraisers to act and raise money. I, I think it's got to be about the families in need. Um, there are some schools that are just finishing off some campaigns uh, for buildings or other great projects, other worthy things, and that's fine because, you know, that's an appeal or a campaign that was, um, you know, still happening at that time. So that's all right. You've got to go about the normal business if that's what the case was. But if there wasn't anything else much going on, I think the focus clearly has to be about helping families in need. That's the really obvious thing. Now is not the time to be all of a sudden launching a major building campaign, particularly if there's no discussion at all about helping school families. Um, that would probably be the ultimate tone deafness in fundraising, I would say. If you are going to act on it as a fundraising opportunity, the sensitivity is obviously really important. Uh, you've just got to be honest and direct and straightforward with people. You know, this is all common sense, I realise, but it's the only way that you're going to be able to earn trust. It's really important in any fundraising messaging, any fundraising communication at all, that there's a very healthy upfront acknowledgement that many people won't be in a position to support. So you, you know, you are communicating that you're taking action but you're also communicating that you fully realise and you're very sensitive and you fully realise that, you know, there's a lot of people aren't going to be in a position to help out. But I don't think you should hold back from making the clear statement that if someone is in a position to help, you have families who can use that help. And that means that you can put their support as a donor, you can put it to work straight away. So that's the kind of message that you've got to bring across at a time like this. As I said earlier, um, donors aren't stupid, so you've got to treat them intelligently. 
if you're going to ask for support, um, you've got to put these things in context as well. Um, I don't think you need to sugarcoat it for people. I don't think you need to, you know, sort of um, over engineer the message too much as well. I think you've just got to be pretty straightforward about this. So I think the things you've got to make sure you do is tell people what the school's already doing in other ways. I think that's important. Acknowledge that everyone can't donate. I think it's, um, you know, worth considering how, what's going to be the best way of explaining that normal school resources do have some limits and they do. That's true. At the end of the day, schools still have to run as a school, as a business. So the things you can do through the normal resources are only going to be able to go so far. You hopefully will be able to find some sort of way to start to tell people, you know, what needs to be done. Uh, you know, what need is out there and what can be done to meet that need. Somehow get that into the narrative as well. And then you've got to tell them how any funds that they donate are going to be put to work straight away. So they're the, all the little check things I think you want to look for in any kind of piece of communication that's going to be going out. I think you've got to take people into your confidence. Um, the, the temptation with these things sometimes I realise, because you know I've met people who, who offer this kind of advice, and I don't agree with it, you know, is to sort of put some other kind of um, facade on it or, or, you know, couch it in some other terms. I've, I think you've just got to be really plain and straightforward with people and, and be honest. And that's what earns trust at a time like this. I think trying to dress it up some other way. I think people know, vast majority of people know what that looks like. So I wouldn't do that. All schools are different in the way that um, communication is undertaken at a time like this. So the social media side of things, which has already been very busy, of course, with all the movement to online learning and learning from home and all the other related that way. Um, there's quite a lot more communication now, obviously through a school app and uh, through SMS messaging as well. And there's also, um, quite a bit of school communication that will go by email and still some school communication that will go out by a letter. Now, if you're going to be conducting some kind of wider appeal for support at a time like this, um, obviously the email and even the letter form of communication are going to be considerations because I imagine in many schools, you'd be going to a past student community as well. So, you know, past students of schools, alumni of schools, they will care that their school's okay and that the students attending that school are okay. So I don't see any harm in putting that message out to the past student community as well, um, because really um, many of those people could be in a terrific position to help. In fact, I, I predict quite confidently that during a time of crisis like this, there would be some schools that get a pleasant, which is great, a pleasant surprise that a past student or two have really stepped up and done really something very substantial uh, in terms of uh, bursary support for schools. So, um, you know, that's worth thinking about there in terms of which communication method you're using and which audience you're talking to. I uh, just want to give a few examples just in closing uh, for the bit that I've been talking about uh, here and then um, and then we'll move into questions. So I've been looking around for some of the blogs um, that principals have been putting up. This is a, a good one from Auburn South Primary School. It's, it doesn't actually talk about fundraising, but uh, Marcus here, the principal, is, uh, and I've been in contact with Marcus, had his okay to use this. 
he's talking to his community. It's not about fundraising, but uh, if you've got the time to go and look at the video, it's just a lot of useful information shared in a very sincere way, which I've seen quite a few principals doing and other staff from other schools as well, which is terrific. But it's a good example if you're looking for something. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a Hollywood production. It has to be authentic. That's what matters, I think, to people. Uh, You've got to take a professional approach to all this as well. Once your communication content is developed, and even if it's still a bit rough, you've got to take time to uh, test it out. So once you've pulled something together, um, check it out with a few people, run it past a few people, some of your current donors, um, some other people in the school community who are your trusted supporters. Um, just running it past uh, people in school administration or only board members is not necessarily going to be uh, probably the best thing to do. Try and just get a bit of feedback from a wider audience and testing what you do. So if you're looking for confidence, because there's going to be some apprehension here from lots of people about doing fundraising maybe at this time. So what's a good way to get around the apprehension that people might have and the doubts that people might have well, test it out. So when you develop something, even if it's a bit rough, put it out, test it out to a group of people, get their feedback and see where that leaves you. Uh, another good uh, example here, Dr. Mark Merritt, Yellow Valley, uh, Yarra Valley Grammar School there. So uh, Mark also, and just another great video about the current time, something that he's done for the end of term one. Uh, it'll be easy for you to find that one on their website. Uh, one of, I mean, there are many good schools that do this in Australia. One of the very good schools that do this in Australia that I have some, a little bit of working knowledge of is Brighton Grammar School. So uh, on social media and on the school's website, they have a thing called Crowther's Corner. So George Crowther was a founder of a school. The current head, as it says there, is Ross at Featherstone. Ross is very good with videos. And so Ross and his staff and all the other people involved, because there are other staff I've noticed involved in their videos as well, do excellent work just communicating what's going on at the current time, giving families good information, um, you know, issuing the right sort of authenticity, I think, in the way they communicate. It's terrific work. And, um, you know, Brighton Ground have been doing this for a little while for, for lots of other reasons, but certainly it's come home to the fore as well. There are other really good schools in Australia that do this, and I realise, you know, some will be on the webinar today. Um, I just picked up on, on putting some of the schools forward here because they're ones that I found pretty quickly uh, as we were just sort of pulling this together. So it doesn't mean that there aren't other good ones around doing it. Just be a bit wary of other fundraising going on. There's other good causes raising money at the moment. Salvos are gonna be one that have already, I think, started the Red Shield Appeal or are gonna be starting soon. So that's gonna be going on. Just be sensitive to that in your communities as well where it's needed. Just a few other things, what are the other schools and school boards doing? So just on the information I've been uh, able to pick up and what other people have shared with me. So apart from bursary fundraising and financial support, there's been a few other things going on in schools and probably in yours as well like this. So the PNF might've reassigned or retasked any funds that were going to something else that might've now done that for family support, for, for bursary support that's happening in some schools. Some schools have become more active in promoting their business directory at a time like this. So there's a lot more business support between people in the same school community going on to give them a hand at a time when there's an awful lot of terrible pressure 
on some businesses at this time and some of them really, you know, well, it's, it's beyond just pressure, of course, they've had to close. Some school communities have gearing up with a secondhand bookshop to enable more families to sell and buy books within their community, not just school textbooks, but any books. Kind of funny, but um, you know, that's, that's something that I'm aware that at least two schools I know have been doing. I think if it's relevant for your school, and this is something you've got to judge at a time like this, but I know that some schools are dialing down their bequest fundraising activity for a while. Again, that's a sensitivity issue for all the obvious reasons. Uh, it's a case by case basis, folks. So if that's something that's a pretty active thing for you at the moment, you might've been having a campaign on around it or something. Um, you know, some schools have elected just to sort of ease up on that one a little bit for all the understandable reasons. If schools are adjusting expectations about their fee revenue, that means that they're also adjusting expectations around fundraising revenue. Um, although that's not always the case in some schools. So uh, if you're in a position as a fundraiser, I think it's important to sort of get your point across early that, all right, you know, we've seen what's happening out there. We have to adjust our expectations on our fundraising revenue at a time like this as well. Um, maybe in some places that point has to be made. Um, some schools I know are making time to attend to other tasks, such as improving their data and also doing surveys of their school committee. So they're doing surveys to kind of find out how people are going, but they're also surveying for other reasons as well. So some schools are putting in some good time into tasks like that as well, as long as, in, as well as improving their past student data. And also, uh, if you go through social media, you'll see some schools doing some really cool stuff with sourcing historical material from their own archives and putting up these stories about other major times of crisis and what happened. And that's obviously gonna be for much older schools in some cases, but nonetheless, pretty interesting. Two final things um, that are probably worth you uh, well, well knowing, the newsworthy items. Educate Plus has sent a submission to the federal government. It's a request that the government look at adjusting the DGR or deductible gift recipient guidelines to allow for a student hardship fund to be created. I mean, a perfect world, the government would move really quickly on that and uh, almost have an umbrella fund available uh, for schools. I'm not, I'm not sure if you know that'll happen in a timely way, but it's the right move. And I'm glad Educa Educate Plus is doing that. The fund would obviously be able to receive tax deductible donations and that would be put to work straight away in supporting uh, keeping those kids in those schools for now. And interestingly that uh, in terms of Catholic schools and Catholic systemic schools, one might say, so in South Australia, some of the Catholic schools have decided to suspend education fees for three months for families that are impacted by it. So just on some brief news I picked up, and this was at the end of last week on Thursday or Friday. So there's about 86 schools there in the Archdiocese of Adelaide and Port Piri, I think that is, that's gonna be some immediate effect uh, that was an announcement made last week. Last slide, um, sketching out a roadmap for your school to act on fundraising. So again, that's a summary of just the key points that I've been talking to. Uh, just sort of starting back with, you know, what have we already got in place? What process are we using? Put a draft of something together, test out the draft, and hopefully the test says, yeah, let's, let's try this. And then you run it and you keep people informed about what's going on and how that's progressing. I think that's important. So just a bit of a roadmap uh, to summarise. 
So uh, we're on to questions. Um, so I'll, I'll let Sheila take over from there. Sheila, yeah, we have a, a question in from Bernadette um, saying, is tax deductibility an issue if the intended use is for current families? Bernadette, would you like to talk to uh, Jeff in relation to that? I'm going to let you speak now. If you'd like to ask Jeff. Bernadette? Sure, I've just unmuted. I think okay, um, I've perfect. Done. Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay, so we've had a look at the hi Jeff, and thank you very much for the opportunity. Hello. We've had a look at the ATO guidelines. We've had a look at our own um, constitution and IF and whatever else therapy um, and and deeds. Pardon me, with re relation to our funds, um, there appears when you get right down to that exact question. Um, it seems to be a little bit difficult from my reckoning anyway to get an, a correct answer. One of the things I've read on the ATO site is that the funds raised can't be for so only the current families. But if you're general about raising them and you regularly advertise the availability of bursaries and scholarships and things for a college, I'm just wondering, is that, in your opinion, is that enough? Yeah, so um, I'll preface my answer by saying I'm not a legal expert, right? So I'm not a solicitor, but I've, I've been around long enough to see a lot of this sort of activity. So if you look at the requirements uh, of the ATO that way over, over a, let's say, a fullness of time, okay? So if a school has been raising money and providing funds for scholarships and bursaries to let's say a wider audience than than what you were talking about in your question and they've been doing that last year and the year before and they'll still be doing that again in the future but it just so happens that for this point right in time now that it's mostly or all current families that that benefit I don't necessarily think that's the end of the world. Now, I qualify that by saying there'll, there'll probably be solicitors that might have different views on this. And the way that, unfortunately, some trust deeds and some constitutions have been worded might even be a bit restrictive that way. So again, this is where you've got to go back and look at the current state of play in your own school. Um, you know, that's an issue. So uh, you're right in that it can be a concern for some schools, it's something that they'll have to work out themselves and maybe get some legal advice on. But certainly my perspective is for what it's worth, and again, not a, not a legally qualified person, but I think you can meet the criteria of the ATO over the fullness of time from what you're doing from you know, every year up until now and what any school would be doing with years into the future. Um, and there's a few other little things you've got to do as well. So for example, and it, the way that scholarship fund rules are set up uh, with DGR status, basically they're there to make sure that you can't make your own school fees tax deductible is really why that's done in the first place. So you don't want to have a situation where somebody pays money for school fees, um, sorry, where someone makes a donation, which is in the value of whatever their children's school fees would be, and then magically the family who made the donation were granted um, you know, a scholarship or a bursary to that value because you're making yeah. your own school fees tax deductible. So sure. that's really what the ATO is avoiding with those guidelines. Um, mm. But there are some other things to weigh up there, Bernadette. So it's a good question and it's one that everyone's gonna have to check into a little bit. I'm hoping that there'll be schools that are already sort of set up in a way that they can manage that. So I'll, I'll yeah. leave it there for now. Thank you. 
Okay, and we have a question from David Mason. David, I'm just going to allow you to talk now. So if you want to unmute and ask your question of Jeff. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes, go ahead. Uh, yeah, thanks for the overview. Um, I noticed that you talked about dialing down um, bequest programs. I actually had the uh, opposite thought and thought it might be a great time to really dial them up um, in that we're not asking for people, uh, people for money now, uh, but you're just really showing that this situation um, illustrates the need that we need to protect the school going into the future. And do you think that could be a tasteful message to, to alumni particularly? Uh, David, no, good question. And um, you're, I think you're right. Um, but the one rider I put on it is that if, if we're talking about a school that's had a bequest program that's run for quite a while, and um, it's a bequest program that's had, you know, that's raised a lot of money, that's put a lot of money to good use, it's got a profile and it's very well known in the school community. Um, I think in that situation, you don't necessarily have to dial it down. It's gonna be a case by case judgment, uh, absolutely yeah. the, the, the case. But so I think if there's been an established program and it's been delivering things, um, I, I wouldn't disagree with dialing it up actually, I think you're right. But, it, but again, if, if that's not the case, and I think a lot of schools really do struggle with you know, don't really have that great a bequest program in place most of the time. Um, yeah, I, I think trying to ramp up bequest fundraising right now would not work so well because it just runs the risk of being misinterpreted. But yeah, in an established program, um, I can't see anything particularly wrong with what you're saying. And if it's a judgment at your school that that's a good way to go and other people are in agreement, uh, yeah, absolutely, I'd go for it. Cool, thanks. Okay, um, we had a little chat note that came in there from Lindsay May to say that a report from the UK last week uh, that there was 133 charities had had the highest bequest notifications in the previous week, uh, £436,000. Thanks for that, Lindsay. And then we have Bridget, um, Bridget Woodham. Um, I'll just unmute you, Bridget, if you want to ask your question of Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Um, thanks so much Good for today. So far, um, Jeff, we're in the leadership phase, um, so we haven't publicly launched a capital campaign. Um, you are suggesting we hit pause on that for the time being and just focus on our families. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, what? Well, so, a few thoughts on that. Um, that's a really tough situation to be in. So that's you know, but no one could have predicted this happening, of course. So I think people would understand that. Um, I think that's a really important situation where you've got to test what to do. So I would be taking the idea of whatever the launch is or whatever the next stage is going to be. And I would be fielding that with people who are maybe already on board as major supporters or pledges to the campaign. Mm -hmm. I would, I would maybe also include some other people in the school community who are the kinds of people that, you know, are just regard as a good sounding board. So I would be very quietly running the idea of that campaign launch past all of those people and getting their feedback. And based on what they say, I would, you know, I would be using that to advise the board and or the foundation or whoever's really, you know, at that governance level. I'd be using the insight from those people 
who are already maybe supporting the campaign or who, you know, might have other good working knowledge of the school community, their insight, I think, is a key thing here. You, you've got to get to a position where you've got some confidence one way or the other about what to do. So taking those soundings, I think, is crucial. And so maybe it'll be the case that they say, no, look, this still matters. This building program is important. Maybe we do some other fundraising for families as well as launching the campaign. Or maybe the, the feedback is actually, let's not worry about it. Let's just sort of pause on it for, for a little while um, and, and go on from there. So, but again, you just have to take some soundings from people that way. I think, and the more you involve that are the right people to talk to that way, I think the more constructive it'll be for you anyway to make a decision. Yeah, okay, thanks so much, Jeff. Okay, Jeff, that looks like uh, they're all the questions that we've had coming in. If you've got any more questions, you can either email me directly, uh, Sheila at educateplus.edu.au, uh, or Jeff has his email address up there on the screen. Um, I will be sending the recording and all the notes and um, Jeff's slides through to everybody who has registered. Um, so Jeff, if you have anything else to add, otherwise I guess we'll wrap it up. No, thanks everyone. I'm, I'm sick of the sound of my own voice and you probably are too, so I'll let you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Any feedback, very welcome. And as I say, any questions that you didn't ask during the presentation, you're welcome to send them through. All right. Thank you. Thanks, John Goffrey. All right. See you, everybody. Bye, Vivian. Bye, Jeff. Take thanks, care. Folks. Bye -bye See now. you again.